Have you ever heard the saying, life is about the journey, not the destination? I can understand why this is an appealing statement. I mean, I can appreciate what it's trying to accomplish. It's trying to tell us not to get too caught up in life goals that we miss the life that's right in front of us. It's telling us to embrace the growth in the moment because we never quite arrive. We're always working on something. And it's telling us that it's okay when I can't find a gas station three hours on a road trip and I really need a bathroom. Enjoy the journey. It's telling us to make the lemonade when life hands us lemons. If I can shoot you straight, I think this saying is terrible. Are you telling me that all I have to look forward to in this life is making lemonade from life's lemons? Are you telling me that I just suffer in this life and I die? Are you telling me that maybe I experienced some incremental growth only to uncover more deeper and difficult things that I have to work on harder? And even worse, that I just keep doing the same dumb stuff over and over again. I think this saying resonates with us because we truly can't control life's outcomes. So we do what we can to hold on to the moment, the thing we can control. But then that slips through our fingers so quickly because we figure out we can't even control ourselves. So what is our hope in life and death? Especially when we're fighting sin. Especially when suffering comes again and we didn't ask for it. And if we believe in a God What is he doing about this? Is he going to help us? Or are we just on a path of painful life that ultimately leads to death? Well, Romans 8, the chapter we will be preaching through, answers these questions with a resounding, full-throttled, hopeful assurance that because of what God has done, we are not on a path to death, but a path to glory. The chapter begins with no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus and ends with no separation from Christ Jesus. And in between, God exclaims the power of the Spirit who now dwells in us and empowers us to live a life to ensure we get to the final day and the final resurrection. And like Paul's argument here is like he takes the guitar amp and turns it up to 11. Like melt your faces with the beauty of the gospel. And so this morning, I want us to have ears to hear the good news of assurance that God gives us. Now to give you a map of where we'll be the next three weeks, today we'll be in verses uh, 1 through 17, which explains the path of the flesh versus the path of the spirits. And again, exclaiming God's provision of the spirit for victory over our our old nature. And it ends with our glorification with Christ. Next week in verses 18 through 30, we'll be talking about the path from groaning to glory. Breaking through the sufferings that mark our present existence again with the assurance of glorification. And then in verses 31 through 39 on the third week, It just explodes with a doxology of praise to the unfathomable love of Christ 
that God has that causes Christians to triumph over any tragedy, assuring us that nothing can separate us from the love of God, our hope in this life and death. A few months ago, when I was thinking about what to preach, uh, I just kept coming back to this because I, I, I know us, Henson. I've had a lot of conversations with us in the last two years. It's, it's been a heavy lift. It's been a heavy lift. And I thought, you know what? We could use a shot of gospel assurance to encourage us to keep going and remembering that because of God's heavy lift, we have nothing but hope and assurance, even in today's trouble. So today, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would enlighten the eyes of our heart so that we may know the hope of the calling, the wealth of his glorious inheritance to the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of power toward those of us who believe that the full throttled hope we hear would result in full throttled praise and the name of Jesus would resound from our hearts and our mouths. So today we're going to be in verses one through 17, which you just heard read a moment ago. It contrasts living according to the spirit or the flesh. And it teaches us how the spirit empowers the Christians fight against sin until the day we are glorified. And the big idea of this sermon, if you're taking notes, I think the big idea of this passage is this. A child of God lives according to the life-giving spirits, not the death-dealing flesh. A child of God lives according to the life-giving spirits, not the death-dealing flesh. And the outline of the sermon traces a path walking according to the spirit. So we'll have three points. First of all, spirit of life, verses one through four. And then secondly, the spirit in our life, point two. And then finally, ending with all the benefits of the gospel, the spirit of adoption. So let's begin by looking at verse one as we begin our first point, spirit of life. I'm just going to read the first couple of words. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. No wonder everybody loves this passage. I mean, this was coming from Romans 7 when Paul was bemoaning how his flesh, how his body fought against him, and he just kept on sinning. But to be honest, we don't need to hear another word from Romans to know this is true. Every single one of us has felt guilt. Every single one of us has been plagued by guilt at times. And probably many of us walked into this room feeling guilt. But guilt is not something that is just felt. It is objectively something, it is an objective reality because we have done wrong to other people and to God. And so what hope do we have of feeling no condemnation in our guilt if we don't understand the objective basis for our guilt being removed? For that, I think we have to understand uh, the, the next verses tell us who is who gets to hear this news of no condemnation? It's not just anyone. As we see in verse 2, 1 and 2, that it is those who are in Christ because the law of Christ, the, law, the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And again, this sounds great. But what does this mean exactly? The next verses help us work this out. And I think first we have to understand what we are freed from. What is the law of sin and death? And what's the deal with the flesh weakening the law. Well, the, the law of sin and death is just a shorthand way of uh, summarizing what the law of Moses does to those without the spirit of God. 
The law itself was good because it revealed how God's people should live the good and righteous life. However, when God's law encountered our sin, all it could do was expose our sin, condemn our sin, and then leave us with the righteous judgment of death, eternal death for our sin. And it not only condemns us, but our flesh, because it's twisted, it's corrupted, it takes a hold of the good thing that the law commands, and it just produces more sin in us. It's like when you tell the kid, hey, don't touch that. They wouldn't have known to not touch that unless you told them to not touch that. And then they go and touch that. And we get frustrated at them for touching that. And adults do the same thing, only in more adult kind of ways. It's just something that is born into us that we do what we're not supposed to do. And for a sinful heart, encountering the law of God It doesn't put out the fire of sin in our condemnation, but our souls receive it. Our spirits receive almost like gasoline to the fire of our sin and and condemnation. It only highlights it and brings out more. We need to know the right thing to do, which the law tells us, but we have to know that knowing the right thing to do will never be enough. The problem runs so much deeper than knowing the right thing to do. Without a new heart or new nature, we will remain on the path to sin and death. So what can we do to hear no more condemnation? Well, the answer in part is nothing. Because whatever we do from our flesh, it's almost like our tires spin out more and we get deeper into the mud Uh, into the mud rather than coming out of it because our flesh corrupts what we know to be good and what to do about it. But God has done what the law could not do or we could not do. And we see this in verse two, that the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, what is the law of of spirit of life? Well, it's a compressed way of summarizing what happens when the spirit of God takes the perfect obedience of Christ and gives us the righteousness of Christ and does something truly miraculous by changing our very hearts and writing the law of Christ on our hearts. And the law of the letter now becomes the law of the heart. And this could only happen one way. And we see this in verse three that God the Father condemns sin in the flesh by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. The righteous judgment of death that our sin and law demands, he had to put on a perfect sacrifice in our place. Someone who perfectly fulfilled the law instead of being condemned by the law. So he sent his son. And the son, the second person of the Trinity, He came willingly to take on our flesh. As we just read, he was in the likeness of flesh, which means he experienced the weaknesses of our flesh, sickness and tiredness, age, but he didn't identify fully with our sinful flesh and that he never participated fully in sin. And then he willingly died on the cross as a substitute for the death that we deserved in order that the law's righteous requirements would be filled in those who trust him and repent and turn to him and our terrible master of sin and the flesh that we fight was nailed, literally nailed in the flesh on the cross in our place. Yet 
I think a lot of people have heard this and have yet not come to believe. And this is where the third person of the Trinity comes in. The Holy Spirit. He's sent from the Father and Son and he applies Jesus' atoning works to our heart and power. And in a sweeping stroke of undisputed victory over sin, the Spirit changes our inward nature to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and repent. Otherwise, our flesh would not believe in that. And what God promised to do long ago through the prophets, that he would send his spirit as a new covenant promise who would write his law upon our hearts and that would give us a heart of flesh instead of stone that was resistant to God, the spirit has done. The spirit has given us life in Christ's death and now empowers us to live a life that fulfills the law in Christ. That was mouthful. That was the beauty. That's the beauty of the gospel. And that the path to glory begins with our justification. Without this work, we will never get off the path of the flesh into and step into the path of glory. And so, and so the spirit works intimately with the work of Christ and no one benefits from the cross without receiving the spirit and no one receives the spirit who is not justified by the blood of the son. It is the objective basis for the Christian life. And this is the path of every Christian. Every Christian in this room has experienced a marvelous salvation by the power of God. That sounds good. And I think we believe this. Yet for the Christian, I think we continue to struggle with the feelings of guilt. I think we probably walked, uh, several people walked in this room, maybe feeling guilty that they haven't lived up to their standard. That maybe feeling guilty that they do not look and act and talk like maybe this other person, that they have done something wrong. And I, I just want to assure us and to hear this on repeat, the Christian, listen, there is no more condemnation for your sin. And God's spirit dwells in you. The infinite, eternal God dwells in you now. And maybe even as I'm telling you this, we're like, oh, I know this, but I feel guilty about still feeling guilty. And I just want to say it again on repeat. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus and God's spirit dwells in you. Without understanding our objective salvation, our objective justification, it's tough to fight the feelings of guilt. It's tough to fight, but this is our battle as Christians. This is our battle as those who are indwelled by the spirit is to continue to trust Jesus and look to Jesus even when we feel condemnation. And I want to make sure we understand that there is a difference between condemnation and conviction. God's spirit will continue to convict us of sin. We want God's spirit to continue to convict us, but conviction is never condemnation. We are righteous before God. Well, in this passage, we see not only the scene of a courtroom where we're declared not guilty, no condemnation, but it's almost like we then start to walk out of the courtroom, open up the door and enter into our normal day lives. 
friendships, work, everything that we do. And how does the spirit then work in us? Well, we see at the end of verse four, a purpose statement to help us understand. We assume that maybe we would see something like God condemns sin in Jesus in order that we might be free from condemnation. But it says in order that the law's requirement might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What's in view here is the Christian who's freed from con- condemnation and is now freed in nature to obey the law. And if you look at the word here, it's the singular requirement, not requirements, which means it's a summation of all of God's moral law. What Jesus said, uh, the, 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 the greatest commandments are to love the Lord our God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then to love our neighbors as ourselves. And later in chapter 13 of Romans, Paul says that our neighborly love of one another fulfills the law. We aren't freed from condemnation to do whatever we want. We are freed from condemnation to become like the Son. We are freed from condemnation to live the righteous and holy life that we were saved to live. Do you want to know what the spirit-filled life looks like? It looks like someone who obeys the word. It looks like someone who is filled with love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Like in Colossians 4, it's someone who is kind and compassionate because they know they have been saved. This is not something we can just will our way towards. I can't tell you, hey, be joyful. You can't force that. This is something the Spirit of God produces in us. And I want to let you know, this this transformative work is a slow work. It's not perfectionism, as we will see later. And the older I get, I think I find that the stuff that is a little bit easier for me to deal with faded away. And now what's left are my deeply ingrained patterns of selfishness, of sin. And it's hard to fight that. But the Christian life continues on in faith and repentance, trusting that the Lord is slowly changing us. And he is. As someone who's been given life in the spirit, now that person lives according to the spirit. And the spirit of life is in our life and he's here to stay, which leads us to our second point in verses five through 11, the spirit and life. Now these verses really get into contrasting the two ways to live. Which path are you going to live according to the flesh, which is someone who is unconverted or according to the spirit whose inner life has been invaded by the spirit of life and peace. You can see this in verse five for those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Now you can see right here that, that this is not one person trying to fight living by the flesh or the spirit. These are two different people. One who lives by the spirit and one who lives by the flesh, two very different mindsets, two very different paths, Two very different outcomes. The one, the difference is, has been invaded by the Spirit. And I think it's helpful to know about this section that this is descriptive, not conditional. Meaning when it says that if the Spirit of God dwells in you, 
That's not saying, oh, if you do enough right, that's evidence the Spirit of God dwells in you. It's saying, no, no, no. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, then you walk according to the Spirit. There's not a single command or exhortation in this passage. It's all what God has done. And so this describes the Christian life, and this describes uh, the, the person walking in the flesh. And so if we look at it here in the, the person walking in the flesh, we can see in verse six that the mindset is death. It's where it leads. In verse seven and eight, that this person is hostile to God and actually does not submit to God's law because it cannot submit to God's law. It's trapped in a slavery to sin. And the end of this path is death, separation eternally from God and punishment from God. Our flesh is death dealing because that's all it knows how to do. It is death dealing. Now, when we get in this passage, it gets a little, it can feel a little wonky trying to understand um, the difference between our nature and the body and how we're fighting sin. So I want to put something on the screen just to help us understand uh, how we grow in Christ. So our pre-fall conversion, I'm backing up all the way to Adam and Eve before their first sin. Their capacity, um, they were always able to sin. And they had the power, they were able to not sin. So they could go either way. But we know how the story goes. Adam and Eve sin. And as part of a curse, now the body was cursed to death because of sin. So then the person, everyone following Adam, were, remained able to sin, but then the, able to sin, able to not sin, switched to able, uh, able to not sin. Unable to not sin. Sorry, it took me a second there. Uh, but it's showing that our nature, we can't just choose our way to God because our nature is so corrupted. That's why we see that the, the path of the flesh is hostile to God. It cannot please God. It's not in this nature. But as we look at the second path of the spirit that leads to resurrection, this is a Christian, a different person. In verse six, we see that the mindset is life and peace. And we fast forward to verse nine, and it describes this person as someone entirely different than someone in the flesh. Why? Because God's spirit is in them. That's what makes the difference. And this spirit brings life because of righteousness from Christ. And then we see that at the end of this path is the hope of the resurrection. When the spirit who raised Christ from the dead and now dwells in us will also bring us a new resurrected life. Now, what happens when the spirit invades us, even though we are stuck in these bodies of death, is now we have a new power and capacity. So if we can put up the next slide, that a reborn person, someone who has the spirit of God in them, is still able to sin. We still fight sin because we are in these bodies of death. But now because of the spirit, we are finally able to not sin. The spirit empowers us to choose what is good and right. And then my favorite part, the hope of the resurrection, the hope of glory. We see that the glorified person, our capacity and power changes, that we are finally able to not sin. And in our power, in our nature, we are unable to sin. If you can imagine that day, we are unable to sin. These are two very different paths with two very outco different outcomes. One ends in eternal death and the other in eternal life. So I have to ask, which path describes you? 
If you're not a Christian this morning, do you consider yourself to be on the path of the flesh or the spirit? And maybe my encouragement to you right now is to just reflect on some of the things that you've heard. How do you deal with guilt? I mean, do we just try and get rid of the feeling? Or there, is there an objective truth and reality to dealing with our guilt? And if we don't trust Christ, we don't trust God and turn to him, well, the spirit, uh, the, spirit doesn't, the spirit will not invade our heart and soul. But as we just heard and read, it really is the spirit that turns our heart. And so as you are thinking maybe about following Christ, I just encourage you pray to the Lord. Pray if there's something you're not seeing clearly, that he would help you see it. That the spirit of God would give you a heart with eyes that can see the truth and the goodness of the gospel. If you have any questions about this, again, just encourage you to talk to someone around you. You can come talk to me afterwards. Uh, but this is the good news. This is the life of the Christian that I want you to believe in. For Christians, there is so much good news for us here. Paul was meaning to encourage those struggling with sin in this section. Those of us fighting sin, which is certainly me, and I assume it's certainly you as well. I think one thing we can be encouraged by is there is one kind of Christian. One kind of Christian. And that kind of Christian is indwelt by the Spirit of God. This is every Christian. There is no higher spiritual life. There is no third path. It doesn't matter what kind of job you work, blue collar, white collar, staying at home. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, two days or 20 years or 60 years. It doesn't matter how long you've been at this church, uh, two months or, or 50 years, which there are people who've been here 50 years. That's amazing. It doesn't matter uh, what kind of money you make or don't make. There is one kind of Christian the kind of Christian who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that's the kind of church we are. We are a bunch of people who at one point in our life were controlled by the flesh. But now the Spirit has given us a new nature. And we're the kind of church that until the resurrection day comes, we're fighting sin. The sin that still dwells in our bodies. To be clear, the sin has been paid for there's no condemnation, but we're still fighting the old man. We're still fighting the old nature. And verse 10 actually makes this clear that now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. That's what that means. The body is dead because of sin. We fight sin. So if I can be clear, we don't have two natures. We have one nature that has been renewed by the Spirit. And that new nature has a different mindset. And that mindset continues to turn back to Jesus in faith and repentance when sin comes up. The new mindset hates sin and its effects in our life. The new mindset sees God's law as good and tries to become more Christ-like. Yet this is not over-realized. If you think that we're a church that's cleaned up, you know, I'm wearing a button shirt here, if you think we've got it together, I just want to tell you, you've got it wrong. You've got it really wrong. We are a bunch of people still really fighting sin by the power of the Spirit. 
What does this fight look like? Because I know that's where so many of us are. All of us are. You know, we don't try to just empty ourselves and surrender everything and just say, let go and let God. To be honest, I wish it was that way. I could just give God the PlayStation controller to my life and he'd, you know, drive me to do the right things all the time. But God's not after mindless minions doing what he wants. No, he's after renewed people who live with a fully developed will, mindset, and desire to follow after him. So it's not saying Jesus take the wheel. It's saying Jesus help me drive. <laughs> help me get to the right spot. We're the ones driving. But that only comes because of the work and the power of the Spirit. You know, I think for a lot of us, it can be really discouraging to maybe see the lack of spiritual growth that comes in our life. Uh, maybe this image is helpful. If you picture our spiritual growth as, as a yo-yo, and we're bouncing up and down, and we're walking upstairs, life is up and down, but the Spirit is slowly moving us, conforming us into the image of the Son. And I really like the way that J.I. Packer talks about this in his book, uh, uh, keeping in step with the spirit that to form holy habits, the spirit helps us form holy habits, which are kind of intuitions informed by the word of God formed over time as we are conformed to the image of the son. So maybe at first we really struggle with comparison and we see someone else that maybe seems like they've got what I want. We see someone else who like, Oh, maybe their path is a little bit smoother and easier. And at first that really tears us down and maybe that will tear us down our whole life, but we start to form holy habits, intuitions that begin to naturally think, you know what? I have no condemnation. God's spirit dwells in me. Could there be any more worth or value I could ever hope for? And slowly the way we view life changes as the spirit of God conforms us into the image of God. But that's not our only hope. Otherwise, that's a really long and frustrating life. Our final hope is that we end up getting the benefit of a resurrected life. And that's what this verse is, that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you, he will surely bring your body to new life. As Christians, we believe that this life is not it. We believe that we were created as eternal beings and that at the end of this life, uh, we will experience either death or new life, separation from God or the new life we have in Christ. And listen, you all, you've got to meditate and think about this day when you will no longer be fighting sin. That day is a real day. It's not wishful thinking. It is objectively real. And so life actually is about a destination. And when we see the hope and assurance of what Christ will do, what the spirit will do to bring us new life in Christ, then I think that gives us some courage to keep fighting against our sin. We know this isn't going to go on forever. We know that there's going to be an end to this life of struggle against sin. Today, we're free from condemnation. And on final day, we'll be free from all temptation. So these are two different paths with two different endings. And we walk 
according to the life-giving spirits or the death-dealing flesh. There's no in-between. And the only difference is the spirit of God that invades our life in Christ to free us from condemnation and help us walk in obedience to that law. Well, Paul wraps up his case in, in the next few verses, particularly as they focus on the benefits we receive because Christ has brought us uh, into new life. So thirdly, let's look at verses 12 through 17 as we look at the spirit of adoption. So verse 12, so then brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh because you live according to the flesh. Uh, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. Paul gets really clear. You owe nothing to the flesh. All the flesh is going to give you is death. It's only going to deal death. You owe nothing to the flesh. But Paul has better things in mind for the Christians he's writing to in Rome. When he says, but if by the spirit, you will put to death, the deeds of the body, you will live. He mentions the spirit, which he's already mentioned 10 times by this point that he dwells in you. And that it's the spirit's power that's going to do this work. And the way we live with the spirit in step with the spirit is we trust this power of the spirit to bring change. We trust him to do this work. And if you notice uh, in the section, when he says to put to death, the deeds of the body, you will live. He actually doesn't say flesh because we have a new nature. We no longer live by the flesh, but he says the deeds of the body where death and sin remain. And so he knows that the rest of our lives, we will be fighting sin. Put to death is a continuous tense, meaning this is not a one and done game. It is daily taking up our cross. And this is just where I want to double down again. The, the ability to do good is not in us. It's in the spirit who has given us a new heart and it's in his power that we live. So then Paul drives his point home. The, the Christians live according to the life giving spirit, not the death dealing flesh, but he takes it one more step looking at the benefits that we receive. And he makes us aware that the spirit makes us aware we have been adopted in Christ so it is the children of God who live according to the life-giving spirit, not the death-dealing flesh. In verse 14, you can see that all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. Now, women in church, I, I know this might be weird. It's like Similarly for men, we have to see ourselves as the bride of Christ in Revelation 21. And in this case, this includes women as well. We see this in verse 17, that all who follow all Christians are children of God. Part of the reason they use sonship language here is because of the inheritance that was common in Paul's day, that the sons would receive the inheritance. And this is saying that because we are adopted in Christ, we are adopted as fellow heirs, that we have an inheritance to look for, forward to. What this inheritance, it goes all the way back to Abraham. And we heard Mark preach about that last week, that promises a blessing that one day God's people will live in God's land under his rule, under his blessing. And when Christ returns, Christ inherits the whole earth and the whole earth praises him. And because we are co-heirs with Christ, one day when Christ returns in glory, we will inherit the whole earth with Christ. 
as Christ is glorified. We get something so wildly generous. We were once enemies, but God saved us, declared that there is no condemnation and now invites us into his living room. And in the living room of God, in the inheritance of God, there is no fear because there is no condemnation. That's what it says that you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. No, you received a spirit of adoption by whom we crowd Abba father, how Jesus taught us to pray to our heavenly father. This is the ultimate picture of security and trust of compassion, a provision that we can now come to God as our father. And listen, I know this is hard for several reasons. This is hard because so many of us have maybe not experienced a loving father. Well, this is where God's spirit testifies with us and helps us see God as a good and loving father. Unlike our earthly fathers. I know that we continue to deal with fear. There are so many reasons to fear our, our, our children, fear culture, fear our own sin coming back to haunt us. Fear is natural, but listen, the spirit of God testifies with your spirit now that there is no room for fear. The spirit helps you practically work through the fear you have in life. Why? Because he testifies with our spirit that we are adopted in Christ. Y'all, this is good news. This is the news we need to hear to make it through a life fighting against sin. It's hard. It's a long fight, but we know the spirit of life who set us free from the law of sin and death now empowers us to live this life and guarantees the resurrection life that we will one day have because of the spirit. We are united to Christ and all the blessings that he has also including where this passage ends that if we indeed suffer with him, we may also be glorified with him. If we're going to share in Christ's glory, which this says we will, this also means we share in Christ's suffering. And so next week, this is the hinge verse where the next week we'll talk a lot about suffering. But what I'll say about suffering today is just simply this. What a purpose. That even in our suffering, Christ is with us. That he took on flesh to identify with us and that we're, we're not alone. And actually we're told if we follow Christ, we will suffer. There's no disillusion. There's no whitewashing this. This is the Christian life, but is it not worth it? One day we will be glorified with Christ, receive an inheritance that we have no business deserving or inheriting and we will live a life without sin. Turns out that life is just not about the journey. Life is about the destination and the journey. What happens in this life affects our destination and knowing our destination affects how we live today. And this, this passage tells us there are two paths to walk. One is according to, to our death dealing flesh. And again, if, you, if you're not a Christian, 
and you want to find out more, please come and talk to us. We want to share with you the good news of a good God. But the other path is that of the Spirit. When the Spirit invades our heart and gives us a new will, a new nature that desires to do God's good will. So Henson family, let's walk as children of God, according to the Spirit. Let's not grow weary in walking according to the Spirit. Let's not grow discouraged in our fight against sin, walking in the Spirit, because the Spirit guarantees this life is not it, that the best is yet to come. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, you have been generous to us. We thank you that you have set us free from our old nature that is unable to see good, unable to do good. Oh, but you have given us eyes to clearly see that the law is good, that what you have commanded is good, and you have now empowered us, those of us who have heard no condemnation, to live a righteous life, to live a life that proclaims your glory to the watching world, And Lord, we do request that your spirit would testify with ours this morning. Remind us all that we are adopted children of you. Do not let us forget this. Do not let this come out of you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.